If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me. We are in Luke 24. Luke 24. In our study of the ascension. Luke 24. And we're going to be looking. Uh, you can look over there in your Bibles. Locate verses 44 through 53 is where we're going to. Uh, that's the context. But we're going to zero in on verses 49 through 53. So we just started our series last week. And let's remember our definition. What is the ascension? What is the ascension? It's merely the ascension of Christ is the resurrected Jesus. So you got to realize the same body that died on the cross is the same body that rose from the dead and is the same body that ascended. It's Jesus going up, going up. That's what it means. Going up from earth into heaven to be exalted in glory overall. There's the, there's the idea. The resurrection is a powerful triumph from death unto life. But the ascension is a glorious transition from earth to heaven. And that's what I want you to see. It's a historical hinge from the uh, humiliation on earth to the exaltation in heaven. And so it's a bridge. The ascension is the bridge. From between his humiliation to his exaltation. And he is there preparing for his ultimate exaltation, which is the revelation, the book of Revelation. People also often say revelations. No, it's revelation of the risen Christ who has ascended and will descend again. And I put that chart back in there in, in your notes because I want you to think on that. Would you, would you think on that this week? Take your notes, keep them, look at that. If you really think about the Old Testament, the coming of Messiah is twofold. Humiliation, then exaltation. And what happened, the people of Israel, like just like us, began to focus on the exaltation and they forgot about the humiliation. And so they were looking for a king with a crown and not a servant with a cross, and they missed the coming of their Messiah. But I want you to see, the humiliation is not just the crucifixion. It began when, when the Son of God left heaven and clothed His glory, hid His glory under human flesh. And then the identification at His baptism with us as sinners, a sinless one, identifying with sinners, amazing. Going through all that we go through, tiredness, uh, you know, weakness, discouragement, betrayal, all of it, tempted like we are, yet without sin. Then the crucifixion, and then the ultimate humiliation, buried into dust as the Son of God. But then comes the resurrection, and that's the beginning of the exaltation. And it gets pride of place because without the resurrection, there is no exaltation. Without the resurrection, this will never happen. But I want you to see that the resurrection is just a preceding to the ascension. And it's the ascension that enables, look on your chart, it's what enables all the other exaltation. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the rest of those aspects, the glorification, the session, the provision of the spirit, the intercession as high priest, and the final revelation 
as the warrior judge, as Jesus prepares a place for us in heaven. All that's there. But look at the quote by Andrew Murray. Faith has in its foundation four great cornerstones on which the building rests. The divinity of Christ, the incarnation, the atonement on the cross, the ascension to the throne. The last is the most wonderful, the crown of all the rest, the perfect revelation of what God has made Christ for us. And so in the Christian life, it is the most important, the glorious fruit of all that goes before it. So the ascension is pretty a big deal. What's that mean for us practically? Here's what we said last week. Look up, look up to the ascended Christ and be empowered to live out his message, his mission, by his spirit, according to the Father's will. So, to help you do that this morning, to help you look up, live out, we're going to look at the first of two historical records, we talked about this last week, uh, of the ascension. And the first of these is found at the end of the Gospel of Luke. And so let's look at those verses and let's read the context so you get that. Uh, he has appeared to them uh, in the previous verses, 36 through 43. In fact, in verse 36, the risen Christ greets them, suddenly appears and says, peace, peace. He greets, greets them with peace. But drop down to verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's the entire Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer. That's the humiliation. And rise again from the dead on the third day. That's the exaltation I've been talking to you about. And then he says this. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then he says these last words. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So the promise we're going to see is of the Holy Spirit. But then here comes the, re the first of only two recordings of historical record of the ascension. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted or departed from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Woo! Now all we're going to do is kind of break that down and take a look at that. Jesus, in this, what Luke is telling us is that Jesus is beginning his heavenly ministry. And I want to show you that with four points from this passage. Jesus 
is beginning. Is it four or five? I can't remember. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to them. Here it is. Let's take a look at it. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 49. And it's this principle. The ascension is a necessary stage in, full, in the fulfillment of God's big story. This isn't a minor thing. We overlook it, but it's vital. It is a necessary stage in fulfilling God's big story. Look again at verse 49. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, the thing I want you to see in this verse is the Trinity is revealed in that verse. You see, like every other stage in God's redemptive plan, the Trinity fulfills it. Not just one member of the Trinity, not just the Father, not just the Son, not just the Spirit, but all of them. So if you take a look at that, Jesus is going to give the promise of who? The promise, that, who made the promise? Not, not just God. God the Father made the promise. And who is going to grant the promise or provide the fulfillment of the promise? Nope, look at the text. It's in the text. God the Son. God the Son. So, God the Father makes the promise. God the Son fulfills the promise. And who is the promise? God the Holy Spirit. There you go. So I want you, as a class, I want you to learn to read your Bibles with Trinitarian eyes so that you see, because we read over that, and we're so used to using the uh, uh, worshiping a generic God. But that's not the one true God. Yahweh is not a generic God. He is a triune God. One God, three persons, and it is Father, Son, and Spirit who's going to fulfill this. But for Jesus to fulfill that promise made by the Father of the Holy Spirit, he has to ascend. That's why he tells him, you've got to go. So this is 40 days after the resurrection. They're going to go. And they are going to wait in Jerusalem. We'll see this next week when we move on to Acts chapter 1. They're going to wait the 10 days until Pentecost. And Jesus has to ascend first. So it's necessary. So he is going up so that the Spirit can come down. And that's a good thing. Why is that a good thing? Well, let me give you two reasons. Right out of this context. There's no indwelling of the Spirit without the ascension. If Jesus doesn't go up, the Spirit doesn't come down. So there's no indwelling without the ascension. But secondly, there's no ingathering. There's no ingathering of the Gentiles. That's why I read the context. Look at verses 44 through 48. 44 through 48 is the Great Commission. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. But then he says in verse 49, but you've got to wait. You can't go without the empowering, indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The ingathering of the Gentiles will not happen unless Jesus goes up. I like these two quotes, and I think I have them there for you. 
because, you see, the reality is the ascension is not just a special effect at the end of an Easter drama. Okay, have you ever gone to an Easter play? Okay, what, the, the really fancy ones, you know, with churches that have trapeze acts in the ceilings, you know. And what is Jesus, how does the Easter event end? Jesus rising up and everybody says, oh, that was cool. Let's go home. Okay, that is not what the, you know, nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'm just saying that is, if that's all you view the ascension as, not good. Okay, there's more to it. It's not just a special effect. And that's how we often treat it, if, if, if we even think about it at all. But look at these quotes. We typically treat the ascension as little more than a dazzling exclamation point for the resurrection, rather than a new event in its own right. And here's what Patrick Schreiner, uh, prof down the street, says. Though the ascension might seem like another affirmation of God's victory, the ascension represents progress, a new stage in Christ's exaltation, where he exercises his threefold office of prophet, priest, king in a climatic way. And we're going to begin to see that today. So for now, I just want you to see the placement of verse 49 before the ascension reminds us that it is a necessary stage in the fulfillment of God's big story. It's the pathway to God's presence being with us, to God's power clothing us, so that in daily life we can fulfill God's purpose of being witnesses. So there you go, first point. Second point is this. The ascension is where the risen Lord leads us. I love this. The ascension is where the risen Lord leads us. Notice what it says in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. I, this ministered to me because, again, we recently celebrated, okay, Easter. May 18th is going to be Ascension Day. And too often we celebrate Easter. And again, kind of like the Easter drama, we walk away and we say, well, you know, I'm following Jesus. No, if you're following Jesus... He leads you, the risen Lord leads you to the ascension. And I think that's a powerful point. Um, he led his disciples as far as Bethany. Just the region of Bethany is what he's saying. And uh, I gave you a little map there. If you notice, the Mount of Olives, where we'll see next week he ascends from, is there between Jerusalem and it's between Bethany. It's in the region of Bethany. And so what we're reading about here in Luke 24 is the same event as Acts 1. Some scholars disagree with that, and they think he went up on the day that he resurrected and then kind of went up, up and down, up and down. But uh, uh, I think there's good reasons for seeing this as all one event. Here's what, what Luke's doing. First of all, Luke knows he's going to be writing a second volume. So this is like your teaser. It's just general. He wants you to get, I believe, these principles that I'm giving you from this. Then next week, he goes into more detail and he, he tells us it's the Mount of Olives and he tells us exactly the details. But here's what I want you to get from this. Just a simple point. The resurrection should always lead us to reflect 
on the ascension. Man, I am praying for you guys. I'm praying for myself that through this study, we're going to learn this principle. That when we read resurrection in the New Testament, we celebrate that, but we then reflect on the ascension. See, it's a sad reality. You ask many Christians who have been saved for many years, where is Jesus? And often their first answer is, he's in my heart. But that's not where Jesus is. And the answer to that question, where is Jesus right now? Where is he? He's the right hand of the Father. And how's he hanging out there? Is he hanging out there in a, you know, angelic, floaty way? No. He's, his body is there. Now, it's not like your body and mine just yet. You know, it, 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 it's different. And we're going to see how it's different in two weeks. But it should lead us to think about his ascension. How many times have you heard it preached? Follow Jesus, and he will, following Jesus will lead you to the foot of the cross. How many times do you hear that? Following Jesus will lead you to the foot of the cross and into his resurrection life. And that's true. But following, we also need to preach, following the risen Lord is going to lead you into his ascension where you kneel before him as he sits in heaven as our risen king. See, those two pictures are totally different. Well, they're not totally different. They're connected, but you know what I mean. It, 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 one, see, here's the thing. We uh, often look down on denominations that leave Jesus on the cross. Well, sometimes we commit the same problem and we just leave Jesus with an empty tomb. And we don't realize our Jesus is not only was on the cross, not only rose from an empty tomb, but he is seated in glory in heaven. Now, let me say again. One, two, three, four verses. There's no implications laid out here. Luke will begin that in Acts. The rest of our study are going to unpack these implications. But I'm trying to get you to put down stakes in the ground so that you have thinking about the ascension that is maybe new to you, or if it's not new to you, it will become a part of your daily life. So that's what I want you to see. Notice in your notes, don't settle for merely following the incarnate Jesus on earth. Don't just hang out in the Gospels. Understand that that Jesus has ascended. Don't revert back to merely following. All of this is important. I mean, you know, God help us if we don't revel in the Gospels and that the earthly ministry and life of Jesus. Heavenly ministry is meaningless without the earthly ministry. But let us not forget who Jesus is. Move beyond just the incarnation, just the crucifixion, just his burial, just his resurrection. Move on to the ascension, but not just the ascension. That's why I have that chart in your notes. The ascension moves on to the glorification, to the provision of the Spirit, to the intercession, and finally to the revelation at the second coming. So that's the second point. Here's the third point. Well, let me say this for application for this. Look back to what Christ did in his earthly ministry. Amen? 
And Christmas is a great time to you know, help us with that. All, look back to his resurrection. Look forward to his second coming. But look up to his ascension. And that's what, we're try- that's what I'm trying to help you do. Okay, so let's look at the third point. Third point is this. The ascension is a continual blessing from our triune God. The ascension is a continual blessing from our triune God. I can't believe how much is in these four verses. Okay, let's take a look at this. Notice, he led them out, and then what did he do? And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them. Okay, just in that verse, what word is repeated twice? Blessing. So that must have significance, right? So let's take a look at it. So here's what the resurrected Lord does. He leads his disciples to the region near Bethany. Specifically, it's going to be the Mount of Olives. But what Luke wants us to to focus on at the end of his gospel, he wants us to focus on the beginning of Jesus' heavenly ministry. That's what you wanted to see. Now, how does Luke do this? He focuses our attention on Jesus and what he is doing. So look again at your verse there. What two things is Jesus doing? What did he, what's he specifically do? He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Okay, so he, he lifted up his hands and both of the things are important. Now, he lifted up his hands. You know, my first thought, is he getting ready to beam up, right, Jeff? Beam up, beam up like Star Trek. You know, is he getting ready to kind of help the father out? Or is he like Superman? He's ready to soar away. You know, there's a lot. No, no. He lifts his hands so that he can open. So he opens his mouth to bless us. In fact, if you look at that, it says uh, uh, the some of your English translations will help you with this and lifting up his hands. So the lifting of the hands is a part of blessing God's people. Okay. So let's take a look at it. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Well, first, uh, let me say this. Look back at verse 36. This is interesting. Look at verse 36. And while they were uh, telling these things, the Emmaus disciples, hey, we saw Jesus on the road. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. And what does he say to them? Peace. This is cool. The resurrection brings you peace. But he ends, the last thing he says to them is not peace, but blessings. The resurrection brings peace. The Savior is victorious. That's a great truth when you face death. But the ascension brings blessing. Resurrection, peace. Ascension, blessing for daily living. I, I, I just, it's, it's beautiful how the, the Holy Spirit puts the Bible together. Shake your head. It's good. It's good. You can see. And by the way, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to know the original language. You just got to look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles. Okay. So let's take a look at a couple things. First of all, the ascending Jesus blesses his people as their prophet, priest, and king. 
the ascending Jesus blesses his people as their prophet, priest, and king. In other words, why is he doing this? Let me show you another connection before we, we delve into this. Let me tell you another connection. Luke 142, the first chapter of Luke, finds Elizabeth blessing Jesus, the coming of Jesus in the incarnation. Luke 24 has the ascended Lord blessing his people. So Luke begins with him being blessed, and it ends with him blessing us. Why does he do that? Let's take a look at it. Number one, the prophet Moses blessed God's people. Uh, We won't turn there and read Deuteronomy 33. Before Moses departs in his death, he blesses the people as the prophet of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, before he departs after conquering death, blesses the people as the prophet of God? In fact, if you look in the Gospel of Luke 6, 20 through 23, Jesus, as a prophet, teaches the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Jesus is ascending as a prophet who blesses his people. Secondly, The priest Aaron blessed God's people. As the high priest, uh, Aaron would bless the people of Israel. Listen to Leviticus 9.22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. So here you have the ascending Lord who has made and offered himself as the burnt offering, as the peace offering, as the sin offering on the cross, is now lifting his hands up to bless the people as our high priest. In fact, turn your Bibles to number 6. I want you to see this in your own Bibles. Look at number 6. Number 6, 22 through 24. Number 6, 22 through 24. Notice what it says in verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you shall say to them. And this is the famous Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you what? Peace. Listen, I'm not saying Jesus was saying this as he went up, but Jesus is this. He is the Lord. And everything that he has accomplished on earth has made this blessing a reality in himself as he lifts his hands and blesses us as the great high priest. Second, or thirdly, the kings, David and Solomon, bless God's people. Man, I, you ought to, these are just great connections that you can find in your Bible. 2 Samuel 6.18 says, When David finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Again, the Lord has offered himself up as these offerings. Now, as the king of not only Israel... But all the world, he is blessing as David blessed. And then in 1 Kings eight fifty four, 
King Solomon, his son, built the temple. And the temple is complete. And the Ark of the Covenant has been carried into the Holy of Holies. And the glory of God comes down. And the glory of God fills the temple so that no one could enter it. And after all these great things, Solomon gets up and he says a prayer. And then he lifts his hands and blesses the people. And here is some of what he says. When Solomon had finished praying his entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people. There's rest, Jesus is saying. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he promised through Moses. Jesus has fulfilled every promise to Moses. Jesus has fulfilled all of God's promises. He goes on, he says, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have made supplication, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people at each, as each day requires. As each day requires. So that all the peoples of the earth, not just us, but the Mokande, every tribe, nation, and tongue, know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Let our hearts, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in His statutes and to keep His commandments as His people. Wow! These are the connections. Here Jesus is the greater and better prophet, the greater and better priest, the greater and better king than all of these. And as he ascends, he raises his hands and he blesses us as his disciples. But again, now, now is that good? Is that good news? The good news gets better. Look at the next point. The ascending Jesus continues to bless his people as he enters heaven. This is awesome. This is why I titled this whole lesson, Jesus beginning his heavenly ministry. Because what he does, he doesn't just have his feet planted on the ground, blesses them, and then beams up. No, literally, as he is ascending, he is blessing. Now, Randy, what do you think that means to us? That means he's still blessing us. He he began his ministry in the ascension to remind us, this is what I'm doing. I'm beginning my ministry as prophet, priest, and king. And that is a blessing to you. No matter what you're going through. Right, Gwen? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you get a phone call at work that your wife has rattled and been in a wreck, and I'm driving over there from my serene, nice, cluttered, but nice study with many books. All is good in the It's great studying the ascension in your office when all is right. But then you got to drive your car saying, okay, Lord, 
you are ascended, you are reigning, and you are blessing. None of this has caught you by surprise. So I'm counting on your provision. And I'm still counting on it. And your healing. So, that's just good stuff. Now, what does all that mean? The rest of the series is going to help us understand that. Fourth point I want you to see from this passage, and it's this. The ascension is the separating hinge in redemptive history. The ascension is the separating hinge. Why do I say that? As he ascends, while he is blessing, as he is ascending, what's the next phrase in verse 51? He parted from them. Or as most of your translators say, he departed. Now, departing is a decisive word. It's a decisive word for separation. Okay? It's also a descriptive word for moving to another location. So he didn't just leave. He left to go to another location. And that's what this word departed means. It means that Jesus' ascension is a bodily separation to a new location. In fact, that's probably a really good extra definition of the ascension. What's the ascension? It's a bodily separation to a new location. All right? So that's what's going on here. Now, here's what I want you to see. Give you two. It's really one principle and then an illustration of it. The principle is this. The ascension ends Jesus' bodily ministry on earth. It ends this. And that's why it's at the end of Luke. It's the end of his earthly bodily ministry. But Luke ends his gospel in such a way that you focus on the beginning of his bodily ministry. While he is ascending, he is blessing. Now, we won't dive into this too deeply, but, you know, where is Jesus right now is sort of a trick question, right? Because Jesus is God, therefore, where is he? Everywhere. Everywhere. But Jesus is a man. And so where is he? Bodily, his body is in heaven. And that is a good thing. It is a good thing that Jesus' body in, is in heaven. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the implications of that. We're going to study that. We're going to see. Why does it matter that Jesus' sinless, human, resurrected body is in heaven in the presence of God. Why is that a big deal? We're going to learn that it's a, it's a big deal. For now, we want to see the historical fact that that's where he is. Second thing I want you to see on this is, because I got thinking about this. Okay, so if his body's up there, is, is his bodily ministry ended? And it is. And yet there are two, except, two the, at first I had them as exceptions. Because see, sometimes our thinking gets fuzzy. And I think, oh, okay, he appeared to Paul, and then he appeared to John in the book of Revelation, right? Paul in Acts 9. Uh, well, you know, I better check the Bible. That's always good. So I read Acts 9, and it's like, well, it wasn't a bodily, a, a, a bodily, his body revealed on it. It was a, vis- it was a voice 
he heard a voice. Then I checked John 1, or Revelation 1 for John, and he hears a voice. But then he turns and he sees a vision of the risen Lord. And so I, I find that interesting, that the ascended Lord calls on the Apostle Paul to begin the mission to the Gentiles, and then he reveals himself in a vision to the Apostle John to reveal the rest of the fulfillment of his final exaltation. So just in, in that Revelation 1 passage, huge, 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 huge. All right. So last thing I want you to see out of this passage is the ascension begins. Those are the two encounters. Did we get that? I gave you that, the two encounters. Just check those out. Here's the third, uh, fifth point. The ascension begins Jesus' ministry in heaven. He begins. And here's the last thing that Luke tells us about the ascension. Verse 51. He was blessing them as he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Carried up. First thing I want you to see about that, that word means take up, let up, carried up. It's in the passive tense. You say, why are you giving us a grammar lesson? Because it reminds us again of the Trinity. Jesus didn't take himself up. Who took him up? Yeah, the Spirit was involved, but here the, the Father, okay? And yes, the Spirit is involved. The Father is taking him up. In other words, the, the Almighty God who rules over heaven and earth is saying, I welcome you. I usher you into my throne room. It's my throne room, and no one enters without my permission and without my blessing. Come, my son. Into my throne room. So here's some, I just want to give you a couple. These aren't in your notes. I just want you to think about it. First of all, the risen king is led up into the throne room by his father. And he's basically like, come on up and take a seat. Where do you want me to seat? Right here at my right hand. My right hand of power. In other words, you're my, you're, I'm the king and you're my heir. And you are the king of glory. Isn't it cool that the father leads the son into his glory. And one day the son's going to come back and lead us into his glory. Beautiful. Secondly, the father takes the son up into his presence. And for the first time in all of history and really all of eternity, a sinless body of human flesh has entered into God's very presence. A sinless human body of flesh and blood is in the presence of God. We're going to unpack what that means in the weeks to come. But you know what? The same word, led up, is used in Luke of Jesus leading up his three most trusted disciples onto the Mount of Transfiguration where he is transfigured in glory. And who, who shows up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah, two prophets. So as, as the son, the king is ushered in, as a prophet, 
He is there talking to the other prophets. And what are they talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration? His soon departure, which in Luke is his death. But his death leads you to his resurrection, and his resurrection leads to this departing. And what does the Father say on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved Son. Do what? Listen to him. Why? Because he's a prophet. Greater than Moses. Greater than Elijah. And then the third thing I want you to realize about this word let up is it is a technical term for offering up sacrifices. Jesus is being led up and is being offered as the ultimate sinless sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's not only the, the sacrifice, he's the high priest that declares the sacrifice to be worthy. And when it's worthy, the priest would then bless the people. All that is in that word led up, carried up. A king is being ushered in the presence of God. A prophet is ascending to speak as the living word of God. And a high priest is ascending in order to be both the permanent sacrifice and the high priest who mediates with intercession and blessing. This, this is the beginning. So here's, here's the points I want to give you. That was the background. Here's the points. Jesus is taken up bodily to begin his ministry in heaven. And it's a threefold ministry. He ascends to rule from heaven as the king of glory. He ascends as prophet to speak as the living word from heaven in glory. And he is our priest who ascends to glory to intercede from heaven, both as sacrifice and sacrificer, both as the lamb of God and the priest who accepts the sacrifice. It's a beautiful thing. It's amazing, amazing thing. So, how should you and I respond to this? Same way the disciples responded. Look at verses 52 and 53. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Folks, I hope you leave here today. Look up to live out, because that's what the disciples did. Let me give you four things that they did. First of all, worship. Worship the ascended Christ. Do you realize this is the first time in the whole 24 chapters of Luke that the disciples are worshiping Jesus? First time it says they worship. Why is that? Because, listen, you can't truly worship until you know who Jesus truly is. You want a deeper relationship, a deeper sense of worship. Listen, worship isn't dependent on styles of music or a kitty slide in your lobby. That isn't what is the measure of worship. The measure of worship is the true knowledge of a risen Lord who is not stunted as merely an earthly Messiah, who is not left merely in an empty tomb, but who is the ascended Lord who is coming again. I pray that your worship of him will deepen. 
as a result of this study. Secondly, obey the ascended Lord. What had he told them to do in verse 49? Do what? Go back to Jerusalem and wait. What do they do after the ascension? Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Obedience. He told them, go back. Wait. But when the power comes, he's going to say in Acts, time for waiting is over and the time for witnessing has begun. The time for sitting is over. The time for going will begin. Third, rejoice in the ascended Lord. I hope I've given you more than enough to rejoice in this morning. Joy is a theme throughout the book of Luke-Acts, and joy is the result of the ascension. And then finally, persevere with the ascended Christ. Persevere. Notice, they were continually in the temple praising God. Now, Luke ends, like Acts ends, open-ended. Okay, so like they're in the temple continually. So the question is, well, did the, did the Spirit come? Did the mission get accomplished? What happened? And just like in the movies, Luke, part two. And you find all that out in the book of Acts. And next week we'll pick up right where that left off. But here's what I want you to see. What are they persevering in doing? You know what's interesting? They were persevering in praising God. That word for praising is the same Greek word for blessing. And it completes these four verses. He's blessing us, and what do we do? We bless Him. And go out to others and share that blessing. Listen, there's some interesting things here. Um, the The city of the king is mentioned, Jerusalem. The mountain of the king, the Mount of Olives, the person of the king, the people of the king. When Christ comes back, he's going to come back to that same Mount of Olives. And he's going to enter that city and he's going to declare himself as king. And we're going to see next week, he restores the kingdom to Israel. He welcomes the nations that have been reached into his kingdom. And the ascended king is going to be revealed as prophet, priest, and king for all of eternity. So I ask you, what are you going to be doing when he comes? What are you going to be doing? Are you going to be worshiping, not just once a week, but as a daily part of your life? Are you going to be obeying? Are you going to be rejoicing? Most of all, Are you going to be persevering in these things? You say, Chris, life's hard. Yes, it is. In fact, it's so hard, you can't do it alone, and neither can I. You know what we need? The ascended Lord clothing us with the Holy Spirit in power so that we can persevere. Not as, oh, I'm hanging on. Come, Jesus, and get me out of this. But as, what a great God. I want to tell other people about it. And they can see it in me when I'm hurting. They can see it in me when I'm discouraged. They can see it in me as I'm dying. They can see it because I look up to live it out. Man, that's good stuff. 
Okay, before you come back next week, live it out this week. Let's live it out.